This is the Darcy Jarrell Podcast, episode number three. Today, my guest is the Liberty expert, Tim Moen. He wants to talk about abortion. It wasn't my idea, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Tim Mullen, welcome to the show today. Uh, how's life been since you stepped away from the leadership of the Libertarian Party of Canada? Well, man, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, you know, I, I feel like Darcy. I'm basically the glue holding this socialist healthcare system together. Just been working overtime, lots of hours. Um, yeah, man, our, our healthcare system is crumbling apart. Maybe one day we, we should do. Uh, have a chat about that. Um, but yeah, I, I've been, you know, uh, working on just my day job and uh, looking at uh, looking after number one for a change, you know, um, uh, trying to figure out uh, where my career's going, what uh, what I need to do to pay the bills, what am I going to do? Uh, what am I going to do till I die to keep food on my family's table? You know what I mean? That's kind of been my focus lately. We just bought my wife and I just bought a house. My office is kind of in disarray here. So, you know, I'm thinking about setting up, I have a nice private space now. I'm thinking about maybe relaunching a podcast and maybe doing a bit more content creation. So all that stuff is on my radar, but uh, yeah, just been working in a crumbling healthcare system and that's, that's what your boy's been doing. Maybe socialism will work this time because your boy is putting in OT. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, as, as much as I appreciate your work ethic, Tim, uh, I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you're gonna pull it off. Uh, we can definitely do some more. We can definitely do some more uh, episodes on healthcare and whatnot. But when I reached out to you the other day, you were chomping at the bit to talk about something. I a subject I wish would not resurface in politics in Canada. Uh, that is, of course, abortion. Uh, nothing in Canada to say that that uh, there is a, a strong political movement to reopen that debate. But of course, a lot of times anything that happens in the States happens here. So yeah, man. Yeah. Well, listen, I, you know, I was, you know, why I was chomping at the bit to talk about this. I was chomping at the bit to talk about this, not because I'm passionate about this subject. I freaking hate this subject to be honest with you, but it's in the news right now, Darcy. And I, this podcast i want your podcast to be successful you got to talk about current events abortion is a current event it's all the rage right now um you know you're on one side or the other just like every other political debate every other issue in society there's two sides to this and only two sides they're black and white and you're either a fascist nazi or you're, you're a pinko commie those are your two choices so let's talk about whether we're fascist nazis or pinky com commies when it comes to abortion i guess I think it's a far more nuanced subject, though, than than most uh, than simply pro-life, pro-choice. And uh, so, you know, I thought it would be interesting to talk about how libertarians think about this. Right. Because there there, there are libertarians on that have different opinions and different um, good faith uh, positions on abortion. And uh, I'm sympathetic to kind of both those good faith positions. And, you know, I thought about we thought we could talk about some of the nuance here and how how to think more clearly about this debate and get past some of the the, uh, the polar, um, you know, the, the bipolar discussion that's going on in society right now and, and try to see if we can have a constructive 
uh, conversation or debate about about uh, a very divisive subject, one of the most divisive. Yeah, right. Well, I'm just glad I have you on record uh, saying that you thought it was a good idea for two middle-aged white men to uh, tell women what they can and can't do with their bodies. So Absolutely. <laughs> Who better? So the Roe versus Wade, again, I don't think there's even, from what I've read, there's nothing binding on this uh, leaked information, but it looks like potentially they will move ahead with overturning the Roe versus Wade decision at some point. Now, are you are you very familiar with uh, the Roe versus Wade decision? I'm not super familiar with it. Now, I don't know the nuances of it. You know, my, my understanding of it, Darcy, is that um, the precedent, I think it was set in 1973 uh, by the Supreme Court, basically made, um, uh, you know, pro-choice the law of the land. It basically bound all states. It, it was a federal thing that now um, states had to allow uh, the option to abort, right? So so it was a mandate imposed uh, on the state, similar to, um, you know, the Constitution is a mandate that's, a, that's uh, imposed on all states. Like, you have to have free speech. You have to have, uh, you know, gun rights in the states. Uh, all those different constitutional things are part of the part of the thing. Now, you know, so so that's the first issue that we can talk about here. Like, I want to get into the the uh, kind of the ethical debate about abortion and and what should a libertarian legal order do about abortion. Um, but right now, you know, the the first thing that we have to do is separate out two separate issues here. There's one issue about whether a, whether something should be illegal or not, but there's another issue about who should have the jurisdiction to determine whether that thing is illegal. Should it be the federal government? Or should it be the the more localized state government? And, um, you know, I would argue that, look, if you're a minarchist or a constitutionalist, you want a um, certain number of, uh, of uh, guaranteed rights, right? So, um, you know, obviously you want the right to bear arms, you want the right to free speech, you want um, property rights. As a libertarian, I would want that. And you want to restrain government to protecting those rights. And if you are then part of this uh, confederation or part of this nation, if you're a, a state that joins this, that signs on to join this nation, um, you have to agree to the ground rules. And those are the ground rules. And, you know, so I'm not a big fan of then imposing a bunch of other ground rules later on that um, on the other states, even if those those uh, ground rules become more libertarian. So we, we have this uh, kind of, you know, on the one hand, if you're a libertarian and you're a minarchist, let's say, and I've had this argument with objectivists quite a bit, um, they're like, well, we want the federal government to impose liberty on, on everyone under its jurisdiction. And then we might want the federal government to annex more territory, more territory until eventually you get a one world government that imposes liberty for all because every human on earth has the right to liberty. Liberty comes from the government guaranteeing that right. And therefore we want um, to spread 
this libertarian government's jurisdiction to the whole world and and guarantee the right of liberty for all people vis-a-vis -vis government. I don't fall into that camp. I, I would prefer there be eight, uh, you know, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. So I would prefer there be about 8 billion different nations in the world rather than one nation or even 200 nations. I think the correct number is closer to 8 billion. And, you know, I, I and so I, I'm in favor of decentralization. I think that, yes, when you decentralize uh, uh, government and you give, let's say, states more power and the federal government less power, you risk there being some uh, state governments that do non-libertarian things, that ban drugs, that uh, ban guns, that ban speech or different things like that. Um, but... Uh, I think you you have that risk whether you go centralized or centralized. And if you go centralized, I think it's a bigger risk. Uh, at least there's some market forces at play, and and your politicians, if you can see them walking down the street and you can hold their feet to the fire and hold them more accountable, um, I think you have a much better chance at getting liberty than you you do if you you try to go to this one giant monolithic. Um, territorial monopoly on force and and imagine that that's going to be your best way to liberty. So I, I am generally in favor of decentralization. So I'm not, um, you know, I'm not, for, from that perspective, um, this might not be such a bad thing, you know, because look, in the US, you've got people that are firmly pro-life or firmly pro-choice. They do not mix. They are like oil and oil and water, right? And so, maybe kicking it back to the states and having some pro-life and pro-choice states, allowing the states to determine, um, you know, might might make this uh, a less divisive issue, might, you know, because look, the US is, is getting more conflict-ridden every day. And it's, you, you worry eventually that there has to, the eventual outcome of this has to be violence and, and civil unrest and maybe even civil war. And we're seeing some of that civil unrest already in the US. So it, maybe it's time for a national divorce, you know, as federal government grows in its power and jurisdiction and you're imposing the law, your your morals and values on the entire country um, more and more from the federal level. Well, then you get um, you, you get this type of division and eventually it has to erupt in violence. And so wouldn't it be better just to have a peaceful divorce and have some states go their own way or if if. Uh, or start repealing the federal government's power and allow states to kind of manage their own affairs. And in this case, repealing Roe versus Wade, from my understanding, from my limited understanding, is going to uh, repeal the federal mandate and allow states to do it. So it's not like abortion is suddenly going to become uh, illegal everywhere. Uh, you know, some states are going to have stricter laws than others. And you know, maybe that that's a good thing. And maybe, you know, some states will come up with some unique solution that is both pro pro-choice and pro-life in that it, it decreases dramatically decreases the number of abortions, but also keeps intact uh, a woman's right to choose. And wouldn't that be a fantastic win-win for both sides? Maybe a state can come up with a solution, but you don't know that when you have one giant monolithic bureaucracy imposing its rule on everyone. We don't get that experimental uh, kind of uh, cauldron of different jurisdictions trying different different ways of governing. Yeah, no, I absolutely uh, agree completely with you on that. And in some sense, it would be really nice to see one well, Canada uh, we have the uh, the Canadian Health Act. Uh, there isn't really any 
mention of abortion or anything. Everything is put down to the provinces. I don't know of any uh, province with restrictive abortion laws. I actually haven't looked into it that closely. Uh, but I guess what I it would be nice to see even the provinces. The, a lot of the responsibility for that type of decision can be put down to the municipalities. And ultimately, you just want to see that responsibly, re- responsibility put onto the individual. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's right. Although, I mean, you know, again, we, we make the argument that like with criminal activity, um, you know, people that aren't uh, the individual have the right to uh, defend others from that criminal and have the right to maybe punish that criminal and, and make sure justice is served and different things like that. And so and so when it comes to uh, abortion, then we have to determine if you're um a political actor, what to do about this? Is this a criminal activity or isn't it? Is it uh, uh, a, is it self-defense um, in that the mother's defending herself from this trespasser or is it um, murder? Oh, absolutely. Uh, is it, you know, yeah. So, so I, I think, yeah, and that's, that's perfect. So let's, if we want, let's now look into the, the two different positions on the, uh, libertarian spectrum, because again, this is, you know, one of the few uh, subjects where libertarians are heavily divided on it. Um, so I'll just, I just want to read out, first of all, uh, the Rothbardian position, which is the pro-choice, what you would call pro-choice. I don't really like that term. Uh, but what he says here, this is from the Ethics of Liberty. The proper groundwork for analysis of abortion is in every man's absolute right to self-ownership. This implies immediately that every woman has the absolute right to her own body, that she has absolute dominion over her body and everything within it. This includes the fetus. Um, so, and if you've, if anyone's familiar with Rothbard's Ethics of Liberty, that statement comes very late in the in the book after he's laid out a very strong foundation for the uh, primacy of the individual self ownership and bodily autonomy. So uh, maybe you could expand on that a bit, Tim. Sure, sure. Well, uh, well, here's what I'll do. Maybe I'll, I'll lay out what I think are the steel man arguments for both sides. Of the debate, and I was actually thinking about doing this, thinking about doing a one-off kind of podcast episode, asking someone who has a strong opinion about abortion to come on and debate me, and I'll take whatever the opposite side is, and just to see how how far I could push this, because I, I think I can honestly debate uh, both sides of this topic better than uh, people on, on both sides of the issue. Um, so the pro-life side would be this, and and this is something I don't think Rothbard addresses in in his book that that he would have to address I think adequately to um, to satisfy me that he is has actually uh, you know addressed the the, the pro life argument here and the pro life argument is this uh, look if I invite someone onto my boat and uh, we go out for a uh, an afternoon sail or something like that. And I decide I don't want him there anymore. I can't just kick him off off into the middle of the ocean and let him drown. You know, I've done some actions that have have resulted in a person being in my care and custody. And now uh, I have an obligation to get him to shore. 
And in the same way, um, you know, when a, when a woman has uh, unprotected sex or sex in, in general, there's always a risk of getting pregnant. And you have now invited another person onto your boat, so to speak, and you can't just kick them, kill them because you don't want them on your boat anymore. You've uh, put them in that position. You have, therefore, you're responsible for their care and custody uh, because you've put them in that vulnerable position until they're gone. Now, some of the things that that this argument also relies on is that um, at some point that fetus is indeed a person with uh, legal rights, right? That 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 it's a person, that it's it's an individual who you know, and there are strong arguments on the pro-life side that look where where do you draw the line? You know, what what an infant one minute before birth. A fetus one minute before birth is the exact same thing as an infant one minute after birth. Um, you know, if you um, if you were to induce labor, let's say, and and have someone have a child, an inf- a fetus born, let's say a week early, are you saying that you you know a week before its natural due date is that still a, a fetus that can be uh, killed even though it's extra utero now, right? Um, so it's kind of an arbitrary distinction to say, uh, that, that, uh, the exiting a birth canal suddenly makes you a person that some magic is imbued in you that now suddenly makes you a person. And so where along the line in that gestational period, does that, uh, sperm and egg become that have conjoined now become a person while pro-life person would argue that it's the moment of conception. Um, you know, I, I also, I find that kind of also an arbitrary distinction as well. Um, you know, I, I've made the joke before that I believe life begins at, uh, spermatogenesis because sperm are actually individuals with unique, uh, each have their own unique DNA. This has been studied. Um, and, and so they're unique individuals capable of becoming fully autonomous grown human beings. If, given enough care and attention, if combined with an egg, if nurtured in the mother's belly, if, you know, if, if, if uh, all this work is put into them to the point where they are independent and autonomous. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not, and, and I, I understand the the kind of desire to put, pinpoint the moment of life at, at the point of conception. I do think it's kind of um, comes from this Christian concept of ensoulment as if there's a magic moment where boom, now that there, there's a soul in that person there. Um, well, the problem is that conception occurs over several hours. It's not like an instantaneous act. So w- if we want to break it down, if we want to say conception is the moment where life begins, we still have the problem of saying, okay, at what point would you consider that egg and, and sperm fully conceived? You know, And there's not a clear instant moment where you can say, okay, now that's different than the moment before. And, and so there's no clear moment where we can say that's a person. So, so I think that that's kind of maybe a weakness of the pro-life argument is that it's difficult to determine, but certainly, uh, at some point that we have to admit that that's a person and that, yeah, um, you know, if that was out of the uterus, we would give it all sorts of legal rights that we don't give it when it's in the uterus. We would recognize it as a precious human worthy of 
protection, of care, of, of nurturing, of all these things, of, um, of certainly not being murdered. And, um, and, and so what's the difference? Uh, and that, that I think is the, the strongest pro-life argument you can make, um, that, you know, you can't make a clear delineation of when life begins or when that's, that, uh, is a person. Um, and if we, even if we, you know, the moment of conception seems like, um, the most clean time to make it that cause, cause you know, at least that's a, a window of a few hours rather than is it, when is it, is it the heartbeat? Is it when that, that baby's viable outside the womb? All medical technology makes that context makes that there's no clear line when that, that thing is viable either. So, you know, the cleanest line probably is conception. Um, and, and so I think that's the, the strongest pro-life, uh, argument is that that's a person and you can't just kill, kill people, especially when you put them in that position through your own actions, you now have taken on voluntarily a duty and obligation or responsibility to care for that person in your custody. Now I will give you the, the strongest pro-choice, um, argument I, I think I have, which is, um, essentially Walter Block's evictionism and Walter Block, you know, he, he believes that he's solved the problem, the dilemma here. Um, and he finds this middle ground or he thinks it's a middle ground called evictionism, which says, yes, just like Murray Rothbard says, it's your body. Um, you, you know, it's like castle doctrine, right? You have someone in your home, you don't want them there anymore. You have the right to evict them. And, you know, Walter Block goes into more detail and says, look, you have the right to evict them. If you are, if you can evict them safely, you have an obligation to evict them safely. In other words, um, if I invite someone over and suddenly I don't want them there anymore, I can't just shoot them in the head and haul them off my property. I have to escort them to the door, invite them to leave, you know, maybe use escalating force, like push them out the door. If they're being kind of stubborn, I can't just pull out a gun and shoot them. So I have to evict without killing if that's possible. Um, but you have every right to evict. It is your house. It is your, even if you invited the guests there, even if you, you know, and, and even let's use the boat example again, I've invited someone onto my boat. They, they are now, I don't want them there anymore for whatever reason they're acting up or, you know, they've outworn their welcome. Um, I, I have, I have to evict them safely. So maybe I can put them on a lifeboat. Maybe I can zip them to the shore, to the nearest shore and drop them off and say, get off my boat. But I can't just throw them into the water. Walter Block would say I have to, but I can do that re relatively immediately. I can bring them back into shore and, and get them off the boat fairly immediately. Now, because we have this right, um, even when it comes to our property, um, you know, uh, Walter Block would say that, look, if the only way to evict someone is to kill them, then you have to retain that right. Ultimately, you have to be able to control and, and what's yours, what you own. And I own the house. I own my body. Uh, if there's a trespasser, I have to be able to evict, even if it means killing them. If I don't have the option, if there's no ability to safely evict them, uh, I, have, I, I can escalate that to lethal force if necessary to evict them. So in the case of a pregnancy, uh, yes, you've invited that thing in there for the most case, you know, and obviously rape is another situation and you, you haven't invited that person at all. Um, 
right? But in mo all, you know, in the large majority of it, it's simply you don't want that that uh, that baby there anymore. You don't want that person in your in your body anymore, and you you therefore have the right to evict. Um, and uh, and if it means you know, if the only way I can evict someone in my house is to kill them, chop them up, and shove them out through the mail slot, well then so be it. I mean, it, it's ugly. I don't want to have to talk about that. Uh, I don't want to do that. I certainly don't, you know, so, so that would be the, the pro-choice argument. And that's the eviction, you know, the strongest pro-choice arg argument, I think is the evictionist argument that Walter Block says, it says, ultimately, look, if I can't, I, you know, a fetus of eight weeks or something like that, or 16 weeks, even, I can't safely evict that, that person. There's no safe way of evicting it. And yet I still retain the right to evict. And so if there's no safe way to evict, I can kill and evict. And, you know, and, and then Walter says, look, this is a technological problem. There may come a day where technology allows, um, you know, an eight week uh, fetus to be safely evicted and, and not killed, right? In which case, if that exists, then you have an obligation to evict without killing. You have an obligation to, in removing that, do it in as safe a way as possible for the fetus and, um, and not kill it. So he says that technology will eventually solve the problem of abortion, uh, of killing fetuses, because, you know, even if that we consider that a person at eight weeks or four weeks or whatever, then we remove it. So now the, the problem that I, I, I see with Walter Block's evictionism argument is that um, you let, let's say you continually invite guests over to your house knowing that the only way you're going to be able to evict them is to kill them and shove them through the mail slot uh, the mail slot of your door after cutting them up. Well, at a certain certain point, um, if you continually do that, don't you have some uh, legal obligation or some responsibility knowing that, you foreseeably you you're inviting this person over will lead to them being cut up and shoved out through a mail slot don't you have some obligation to not do that anymore <laughs> to not do that thing and and should there be some kind of punishment or, or restitution so this is this is you know this is how my warped mind thinks about this like we think of in uh, libertarians are when we think about subjects like this we're pretty unusually devoid of emotion. You know, Jonathan Haidt's personality research has shown this, that we're very intellectual and, and kind of objective when it comes to analyzing these things. And, and so I think about this extremely abstractly from a first principles perspective, trying to reconcile different lines of argument and, and principles to see if I can arrive at a solution here. And so it might sound kind of cold and callous to the pro-choicer or pro-lifer who is like, that's a woman's body or that's a baby's life. Um, but honestly, uh, you know, I haven't reconciled these two positions. I, I think I make a good case for both sides of the argument and I'm not 100% sure which side uh, I, I go on. I, I, you know, from my perspective, Walter Block's evictionism is probably the the best argument I can find so far on either side of the debate, and I, I still see problems with it um, that 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 trouble me. And so, you know, ultimately though, Darcy, I think, you know, and this is what I focused on when I was leader of the Libertarian Party was 
abortion, I see abortion as a byproduct of statism. Okay, and, and by that I mean all the socioeconomic and, um, and incentives are there for um, promiscuous hookup lifestyle sex. Perfect, right? yeah, that, that's exactly what I wanted to get into next. The, you know, again, uh, you have your complaints about socialist health care, I have mine. Um, one thing that is interesting is uh, in vitro fertilization is very expensive in Canada. Um, whereas the abortions, I mean, you can, or for the most part, you can go get a free abortion at any time you want. So, well, and that brings up, that brings up another point I want to, just before we move on, I want to touch on, which is another, uh, just kind of a moral intuition I have, you know, the, the, another thought experiment is, look, if there's, if there's a, a toddler and a bunch of, um, a bunch of fertilized embryos in a lab that's on fire. Uh, do I do I save the twenty fertilized embryos that are, according to pro-lifers, actual people uh, deserving of um, protection, or do I save the the one toddler if I have the choice? If I have to choose between that one toddler or the twenty embryos, my mind goes to I'm saving that toddler and not those things in those test tubes because I don't. I can't quite see them as a the same per, as a as a toddler. You know what I mean? I can't see their their worth as the same as that. So, um, yeah. So, anyways, that that was just an observation I like to make. And I don't know if, the, yeah, I don't know if that's me being too emotional about it, or if I should intuitively be like, you know, like what would a pro lifer do in that? So it'd be interesting to to ask a pro lifer what what they would do because if they say the twenty to to be consistent with you know, life begins at conception. Uh, that, that's a person as soon as that moment of conception hits, they would have to say, take the 20 embryos, I would assume, over the toddler because you're saving 20 lives. I, I guess, yeah. Um, uh, but, but I'd be curious to see, you know, anyone out there listening to Darcy's pocket, how, how, if you're pro-life, how would you address that? I'd be curious to know. Maybe I'm just not seeing it. Anyway, sorry, Darcy, I digress. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... a. That that's a that's an interesting point. One I certainly hadn't thought of. Um, you know, from a libertarian's perspective, I mean, first of all, assume that um, somebody accepts socialized healthcare, and then talk about the the moral uh, pitfall of having abortions be part of that system. Well, I mean, certainly it, it creates the incentive, you know, it creates a safety net. Like if you, if you're irresponsible with your birth control, you, you've always got that free abortion available, right? So, so you don't have to be as uh, responsible with your decisions uh, because the state will, will subsidize the cost of your bad decision making. You know, this is, this is one of the big problems with, with statism is it removes the individual from personal responsibility and, you know, it allows them to have all the freedoms, but no, the, none of the responsibility that come with those freedoms. Um, so, so it certainly does. I, I, you know, I, I don't know that the, the free abortion thing is as much of a, a contributor to, let's say, unwanted pregnancies in this world as it, as, uh, perhaps, um, you know, the, the, <clears throat> 
the state's influence on culture, the state's uh, influence on marriage and family, the state's influence on subsidizing um, single motherhood and and demonizing fatherhood, for example. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, that there's every incentive. Like, if if you are a woman, you can get resources uh, from the state. You don't need, you know, it, throughout most of human history, um, you know, women have looked for a good mate. And, and what, what do they look for in a good mate? Someone who's a good at providing resources and protection for her while, because she knows that she's going to um, be limited and, so, and somewhat disabled while she's pregnant for nine months and has a, 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 a an infant attached to her hip for the next one to two years as well. So, uh, you know, this is why throughout most of human history, you know, the, there's, they've women have found mates that can go out and provide and so men go out there and hunt and 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 so women look for status evidence of status right because that's a proxy for can you gather resources will you be successful you know will you make a good mate men look at reproductive traits like is this woman reproductively healthy will she bear my offspring does she have curvaceous hips and boobs and luscious hair and all the all the things that indicate um, uh, reproductive health and, and now that we have a big government that can essentially provide you unlimited resources as a woman, uh, again, you have all the, all the benefits of, uh, uh, you know, freely choosing a mate, but none of the responsibilities, right? And so don't have to honor, honor your marriage commitments. You, you know, a man's needs, wants, desires don't matter as much anymore. So, um, because look, if, if I lose this man in my life, I, well, I still have access to his resources vis-a-vis -vis family courts and, and, um, you know, family law. And I have access to the state's resources. Healthcare is free. Like all the resources I could, you could possibly want are there. And, um, and, and so, you know, sex is no longer in our society about procreation and about family it's about um enjoyment fun hedonism um that sort of thing and and so there's all this effect on culture from that and we see this in hollywood and all the movies and you know uh, hookup culture is is promoted and and so this this is all the result i believe of of statism it corrupts culture it corrupts all and, and it highly influences these and it removes people from personal responsibility so you know i've always said this that a libertarian society, one where you can snort cocaine off a hooker's ass and have all the free sex you want and have all the guns you want and all the drugs you want. Um, that society that allows that, that is libertarian, is actually far more socially conservative uh, than the society we have now because uh, you can make all those decisions, but guess what, bud? You also have to pay for those decisions. And so when those life decisions lead you down the path of um, poverty or impoverishment or whatever, um, you're going to start making better decisions. And those decisions that are better for you, better for your family, better for your kids tend to be more socially conservative ones. Um, you know, when, when there's no state backstopping everything, suddenly, um, the, the man's role does become a little bit more important. Like you need, you do need to find, if you're going to start a family, you need to find a, a, a good man and, you also need to work on keeping um, 
are keeping each other happy because you don't want that marriage to, to fall apart, right? Because uh, your ability to get resources and raise kids and everything else depends on that union staying together and you honoring that contract. You know, no fault divorce would, would go the way of the dinosaur because you're entering into marriage, you're entering into a contract and there are consequences when you break, unilaterally break a contract, you know, by going outside the terms of it. Uh, we don't have that in marriage, but we have it in every other aspect of contract law. But libertarian society would probably bring that back to marriage. So I guess my point is, look, families would stay together. More important, there would be more... Uh, serious consequences from having sex outside of uh, a committed relationship like that because now you're going to be on the hook for how, how are you going to get funds for this you're going to have to convince charitable charitable organizations or people to be charitable to you but if you are making irresponsible decisions constantly and continually getting pregnant over and over again how charitable are you going to feel towards that individual that is continually making those decisions so you know culture then shifts to um, maybe uh, glorifying committed relationships rather than hookup lifestyle, right? And, and so, again, to me, um, once you, you have liberty and personal responsibility joined back together in a libertarian society, then you have a much more socially conservative society, even though you're free to do all, engage in all these bad decisions and vices, people over time, I do believe, will, will naturally lean towards the decisions that create more flourishing for their life and not uh, more toward of long-term ill effects, so to speak. Yeah, perfect. Uh, I think you're absolutely right, Tim. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on here. We are out of time. Um, but let's try and do this again uh, even next week. Whenever works for you, we'll get something planned and have you back on right away. Thanks a lot. Yeah, sounds good. Lots of updates on the healthcare front, so uh, I look forward to chatting with you. That was Tim Mullen, former leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mullen underscore Tim. And to make sure that you never miss an episode of the Darcy Giroux podcast, subscribe on Substack. Substack.